0: well good morning friends <laughs> i never know this is uh, yeah, you're, i was watching it with you at the same time that's delightful awesome i don't know how i gonna appreciate after that uh hey listen my name is ethan magnus super glad to be with you if you're a guest with us today boy we are so glad that you're here you're in the right place uh, we're continuing our series, uh, The DNA of FCC. Uh, before I jump into it, just want to remind you, you, they already mentioned it, but I want to say it one more time. The gathering is this Sunday. That's for everybody who is leading in the church or wants to be leading or serving somewhere in the church. Uh, we've got training sessions on all kinds of things, even more than they mentioned, actually. So show up Sunday morning. I mean, rather, Saturday morning, we'll have a little breakfast for you and uh, get plugged in serving if you're not. If you're already serving, my guess is you know what your team is doing, so be there to get plugged in with your team. Uh, well, I am so excited uh, about this message. I uh, I just, as the week has unfolded and uh, kind of clarity has come to what we're going to talk about today, uh, my anticipation and excitement for this has just increased because what I want to talk about today is an opportunity uh, that you have individually and we have collectively to change the world. Uh, you know, sometimes we preach messages and it's mostly about how we can change or how God can change us. But today I want us to reflect on how we collectively and individually could change world. The world, Because I believe the power uh, to change our world in our moment is in our DNA. It's hardwired into the DNA of every follower of Christ and into the DNA of first Christian church. You may know some of the stories from history of when the church has changed the world. Uh, do you know the one uh, that happened in Ephesus a long, long time ago? Uh, Well, uh, Demetrius is the one who tells the story best. Uh, Demetrius was a maker of religious trinkets, you see. He was a souvenir salesman. In fact, he was the head of the souvenir salesman guild, and he worked in Ephesus. And so all the people who came to worship Artemis on the way home would want to buy a souvenir of their trip, just like we do. Except what they wanted to buy was a little Artemis statue. And Demetrius gathered together all the souvenir salesmen, and he said, you know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business, and do you see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray so many people here in Ephesus, practically the whole province of Asia? He says that gods are not made, that gods made by human hands are not gods, at all there's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name but that the temple of the great goddess artemis herself will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty i love that story i mean if you want to test how effective your evangelism is in a city ask yourself this, have we affected the souvenir salesman yet? Have they had to stop selling their statues to false gods? That's how you know. Not because you've gathered a crowd of interested people, but when Demetrius, the souvenir salesman, gets upset. Now that's a Christianity that has changed a whole Roman province, and that's exactly what Paul and the Christians with him did or maybe you know the story of julian he was a, a roman emperor he was a devout roman emperor committed to the strength of the roman pagan temples, and yet he was concerned because everywhere he looked, every messenger that came back to him, what he heard was that more and more people were following this new master called Christ, and fewer and fewer people were worshiping at the Roman temples. He writes a letter to one of his priests bemoaning the problem. He says, you know what happened is that when the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagans, I think these impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, they noticed that the poor weren't being cared for. And so they devoted themselves to good deeds. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds because of the credit they win by caring and loving the poor. It's like those who give children a piece of cake and by giving them cake two or three times are then able to kidnap them and drag them far away and sell them as slaves. I say it is by this same method that these Galileans, again, that's what he calls Christians, they begin with their so-called love feasts, they practice hospitality, they serve at the tables and feed those who are hungry, they care for their poor, and they even care for other people's poor. They have so many ways of carrying out their so-called love. They call it by all kinds of names. And this is how they lead so many people away to their faith. And Julian, of course, was right. Julian was emperor during a very short window of about 100 years when Christianity went from around 18,000 Members to around 3 million members. And Julian says, You know how they do it? They just love all people all the time. How are we going to stop that? Or maybe you're less likely to know this story. I heard this story from a friend. Um, there was this uh, church in Colorado, a couple of their ministers went to a citywide meeting on foster care. And there were several other church leaders there. During the meeting, one of the people who worked for the foster care system just casually mentioned that in their town there were 87 children on the foster care waiting list waiting to be placed in a safe home. And because they did not have a safe home for them, they had to just be left in the unsafe home where they were already because there was no place for them to go. 87 children. This handful of pastors left that meeting, went and grabbed lunch together. By the time they left lunch, they'd hatched a plan. They went back to their churches. And one year from that day, there was a new waiting list. No longer a waiting list of children looking for homes. There was now a waiting list of homes open for children in this town of Colorado. You see, if you listen well, you hear stories of when the church did not just gather together to sing songs and pat each other on the back, but when the church embraced its full DNA and changed the world. And I am convinced that we live in one of those moments in a moment when the church could make a real and permanent historical difference that would be a testimony not to how great we are but to how great our god is if only we would live into our dna but before i tell you about it let's uh, do a little science experiment science is our theme here And so I've set up this very, very simple experiment that I want to try with you. Um, The the experiment's super simple. It's just a question of how, just to test how different liquids interact um, with fire. Uh, So here I just randomly picked two liquids. I have a a cup of water right here and a cup of gasoline right here. And so we're just going to... We're just going to randomly test to see how they interact with fire, and I, I, I rolled dice earlier last week, so we thought we would test the water first, and whenever, whenever you do a scientific experiment like this, you always have to have a hypothesis first, um, so, some, so that, that's just a theory of what you think's going to happen, so you can just imagine, we have this water, we have this fire, just be, just be thinking in your head what you think's going to happen when I pour the water onto the fire, we'll see if you're right, let's just see, not a big deal, we'll just test this out. Anybody predict that? Anybody? A few of you? Okay, great, good. All right, now, of course, the, the, the water sort of in this, in scientific terms, the water served as our control. Here, we've got to you know, fix that wick. It's kind of beat down in there. Um, the water served as our control, you know, in the experiment, and we some of you had a theory of what would happen there. We'll get that water out of there. All right, great. Uh, now, so, of course, now the other, you know, no experiment's good, but just one trial. Now, same thing. Uh, we've got this cup of gasoline, and we're going to pour it on. And so the same thing. I just want you to prepare a hypothesis of what's going to happen. This is not gasoline. <laughs> it's apple juice, okay? Uh, just for you kids at home, uh, just to be clear, gasoline, I, I was told this once a long time ago. I did not believe it at the time, and then I, I proved it my own self. Gasoline does not burn. Gasoline is explodes okay that chemical you see people putting on fires to help start it that is not gasoline that is lighter fluid they are very different never ever pour gasoline on a fire okay this was a joke not gonna happen okay now was my little safety note okay now this experiment which we obviously did not really do um, but had it been water and gasoline this would experiment would have shown us that Some liquids you pour on a fire, and it goes out. And some liquids you pour on a fire, and it explodes. And I just, there's something about this little simple setup, the fire, the cup of water, the cup of gasoline, that I think is a picture of where we live. It's sort of a symbol of the world we live inhabit. Everywhere I go is just a little bit on fire these days. Just a little bit on fire with tension, a little bit on fire with disagreement, sometimes a lot on fire with hatred and finger-pointing and name-calling and disparagement. Every home I've ever been in There is already a pilot light lit, ready to start the next argument. Whether it's an old argument between parents and children, or a fresh fight between a husband and a wife, or whole families that sit on a powder keg waiting for someone to push the wrong button. You know you are just like your mother. Boom! Everything explodes. You know you're the reason we're stuck you're the reason our kids are like that boom everything explodes the friendships we have every friendship I've been in there already is the spark of a disagreement The, the, the flicker of a tension that could explode and tear the thing apart And when you expand out of the microcosm of our families and our friendships, and you look at the public arena right now, it's not just a lit candle. It's a roaring blaze of hatred and venom. We no longer argue about policy as part of a common goal to help one another. We argue about party my side versus your side everywhere I look I see people ready to excuse in the politicians they like behavior that they would abhor in the politicians they don't like and so the behavior continues on both sides and the fire grows bigger We enter a new level of hateful speech at every level of our society. Even in little ways, I was waiting for my turn to get a haircut about a month ago. I heard a little boy ask his dad, do I have to go to school tomorrow? The dad said, yeah, yeah, buddy, why? He says, I hate it when they make fun of my haircut. I mean, on the one hand, it's so little. On the other hand, we know, right? He knew that that little haircut was just a little spark it would take and somebody would walk in and pour gasoline on it. And the whole thing would explode and he'd be embarrassed and didn't want to go to school. And here's the thing. When I talk about the opportunity the church has to make a radical difference in our moment, the opportunity is just this Simple. Every time we walk into our homes where the spark of disagreement is already lit, every time we walk into a political conversation where the fire of hatred is already burning, every time we walk into our schools or our work where the pilot light is on for the next fight, we get to choose. Do we pour on the water? Maybe you can't put the whole fire out, but you can weaken it just a bit. Or do we pour on the gas and watch the whole thing explode? And I know you get to choose. I know you have a choice because this, the gasoline of further disagreement, hatred, and cruelty, this was your birthright. You've had this since you were born. Part of your fallen nature the ability we all have to do evil and this this is your birthright in christ you now the bearer of the dna of jesus christ have been given this second crucial part of your dna you through christ's love can love others Matthew 22, verse 35 through 40. One of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Last week, we looked at the first element of the DNA of our church and the DNA of a Christ follower. We talked about loving God, which means, we said last week, it means to serve God alone and to worship God alone and to obey God alone. And this week, I just want to look at the second element of our DNA. Love others. This is intended by God to be the distinct DNA of those who follow Christ. Jesus once said, "How will they tell you're my disciples?" And think of all the choices by the by the clothes we wear, by the bumper sticker on our car, by the doctrines we believe, by the church we attend. Jesus, "No, no, 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 no." The distinct way. How will they know you are my people and not anybody else's people? I'll tell you how. Because you love one another. That is the thing that will set you apart, Jesus said. Just like, just like a DNA test can determine one person from another. He says, this is the DNA test. You love one another. And of course, the love he calls us to is so crazy radical. I love how Jesus never understates a thing. Listen to this, Matthew 5. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They're like, yeah, we heard that from you, right? Didn't that what you said? He said? No, no, no. I just said, love your neighbor. I didn't say anything about the hate part. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, this is what makes your God so different. Every other false God throughout human history loved some people and not others. Every other false God throughout human history loved some people and not others. This is what makes your God different. Your God gives sunny days and cooling rain to everybody. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Everybody does that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, I've spent some time, not a great deal, I'm no expert, but I've spent some time studying the history of the church. Uh, Mainly, I suppose, as a hobby, like I say, it's not my career or anything. But you do learn some pretty significant things about the present church by studying the church of the past. And I'll just make one casual observation about All the church history I've studied, something like this is true. When the church collectively has lived out this part of its DNA, when the church collectively has been a force of love, like it was in the first century when Julian wrote his letter, when the church collectively has been a force of love, it has expanded radically and unstoppably even in the face of terrible persecution. And when the church has tried to achieve Christian goals through any other way, it has embarrassed the cause of Christ and set the church back for generations. You just look back through church history. Every time the church has tried any strategy other than love throughout church history, you get the Crusades or the 30 years war. You get a period where the church gave itself over to philosophical persuasion and debates that convinced anybody or where the church sold itself to political power to try and force its will on other people. Everything the church has tried other than love never works. But when the church, Individually and collectively, has accepted its DNA. We are the people who love. It's unstoppable. I was so excited. I, it was rather serendipitous. We got we got new T-shirts. You know, we ran out of our old T-shirts, so we got new T-shirts for the church. And they came in today. I was so or, well, they came in like three days ago, so I could wear one today. I love this shirt. It's it's a perfect for everyone. First Christian Church. Because that's our DNA: love God, love others. And if you, if you like me, are prone to forget what your DNA is, and you want to wear a shirt that reminds you, pick up one in the atrium. there's a small donation; you can have one. We'd love for you to have one for everyone. That's who we are. That's the DNA of First Christian Church. I was thinking about this being for everyone. You know, we have a ministry here. Um, that uh, takes communion to people that are homebound. I I love this ministry. Uh, My grandmother was uh, in in a church up in Maryland. She was homebound for uh, the last 20 years of her life, Uh, first in home and then in a nursing home, 20 years. I was um, saying to her one time, probably a couple years before she died, I said something like, do you feel bad that you miss church? And she said, I haven't missed a Sunday in 20 years. Holy mackerel, that's amazing. You know why my grandmother hadn't missed a Sunday in 20 years? Because the group of people had been faithful to take her communion and a recording of the worship service every Sunday for 20 years. That's amazing. I will just say as a little plug, we do that here at this church. They could use more people. That team could use some more people. It'll be the most fulfilling thing you ever do is to take the church to somebody. And why do we do that? It's a huge investment. Tons of people have to do it. You drive all over the county. Why do we do that? Well, that's because we want to love everybody, even the people who can't drive to church anymore. We talk around here about being a five generational church, a church where young people and old people can worship alongside together and sing some of the same songs and pray some of the same prayers and listen to the same sermons. Well, why would any fool try to be? Don't you see? When you try to get five generations to do something at the same time, the spark is already lit. The fruit of the disagreement is already there. The stuff to fo- We don't have to look for things to fight about when you try to do just try to do a five-generational meal. I promise you, the stuff to fight about is already there. Is it going to be gluten-free or extra gluten? You know what I'm saying, right? What are we going to do? Just, just, you just try to have a five-generational meal. We've already, you, you imagine trying to be a five-generational church. You think we can't find things to fight about? The spark's already lit. And the question is, every Sunday we arrive to worship, and we just decide, will today be the day that I pour on love so that the flames die down? Or will today be the day that I pour on the gasoline so the spark of disagreement explodes into bitterness and division? See, this is the thing about the church. Our DNA is love others, but the opportunity to reject our DNA is always with us. I will say, of course, a lot of this has to do with our speech. Some of us somewhere along the way decided that every mean thing ever popped in our head, we should say. That just isn't true. Okay? Okay tons of the mean stuff that pops into my head I should never say. I love how much time the book of Proverbs spends on speech. Proverbs 5, you've forgotten, go check out Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He's just talking about the two cups here. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word See, we're just acknowledging that the spark is already lit and how what you choose to say in the moment tells us whether the fire burns down or the fire explodes. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The soothing tongue is a tree of life but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms the quarrel. We could just keep reading the Proverbs, and it just keeps showing us everybody shows up into every conversation, into every home, and wherever you go, where there are more than one people, more than two people, yeah, wherever you show up, and there are already two people, that's how I want to say it, the spark of disagreement is already alive. Okay? If there are two people in the room, The pilot light for a good fight is already burning. The only difference is whether they decide to pour on love or pour on hate. Pour out water or pour on gasoline. And this is why I say, church, in the moment we live in today, we could rescue our culture. We could rescue our city. We could rescue our families. We could rescue our marriages. We could rescue our friendships. All of this is ours to rescue if only the church would decide we are going to start bringing only love. Let someone else bring hate. Let someone else bring division. Let someone else bring name-calling and destruction. We will bring love. We are the ones who know that the fires of disagreement have already been lit. We were working on this theme in teaching team, and they told me under no under certain terms, I'm not allowed to sing, we didn't start the fire. It was always burnt. So I'm I'm not going to, under their instruction, I'm not going to sing that song. But it's right. We didn't start the fire. It's already lit. You did not light the match that started the fight in your marriage. But you can decide today whether you're going to pour water on it or gas on it. In every home, unless yours is very different from mine, In every home, there is already a spark of disagreement. There is already a flame of tension. The pilot light for the next big fight has already been lit. And your decision of whether you're going to live out of the DNA of Christ and love others or live out of your baser instincts and bring hate is what's going to make the difference between a day of peace and a day of explosion. It's interesting, I don't know what to do with it, on this very issue, uh, this has actually been kind of a hard week for me. Uh, Really, it felt like sort of like a spiritual attack. It felt like everywhere I went, the spark of tension was already lit, and all I could find was my cup of gasoline. It was like everywhere I went, I couldn't find the water, and that I was too often the one ready to make things explode this week. It was hard to write this sermon and face my own behavior all at the same time this week. But as the week progressed, and I got a hold of myself, it just made it clearer to me that the power of my choice, whether to pour on water or pour on gasoline, to the small disagreements of our home life, the power of my choice was what made the difference in our home. And just as completely, I am convinced that if the church in our moment, if just this church and then the next church and the next church and the next church, if we would commit to living out a posture of love, doggone it, it would be bigger than that time that the trinket trade in Ephesus got shut down. It would be bigger than that. People would tell the story for generations. The historians would write the world was raging in the early 21st century. And then all of a sudden, just the Christians decided we will not fuel the hate. We won't. We're going to speak love and act lovingly. We're going to love the lovable and the unlovable. We're going to love our neighbor and the one across town. We're going to love our enemy. And we know we can do it. Church, I know you can do this. Because this is our DNA. Let's pray. Gracious God, I believe we have an opportunity to alter the trajectory of our time as we submit to the Spirit of Christ and decide To love others. Oh gracious God, protect us when we make the foolish fast choice to pour gas on the flames and explode the situation and teach us more and more often to make the decision to pour out love where the fires of hate burn so that your spirit in your church would be truly known.